0: So Rosie's kind of given half the sermon already, so I don't have to. Because um, one of the things we're going to think about this morning is also, you know, God speaking and us being able to hear what he says. And just to, to go back, you know, imagine Joseph and Mary having this baby. They're in the stable. Now what? And what you see over the... Season is how God actually starts bringing people and orchestrating something. I mean, how many of us are control freaks? Like, you know, if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. Or if something doesn't happen today or tomorrow, as Rosie said, if I don't get my verse, um, I'm not going to get it. And and what I was talking about last week was get a verse uh, that maybe you can use as a kind of, a hinge for the year, a verse that you memorize, a verse that you just hold on to every day, and a verse that holds on to you. And one of the cool things is, is you know, is relax with it. People sometimes say, what kind of Bible should I read? And I love, the, I love the, um, the advice that says, just read the Bibles until one sings to you. So some people have picked up a children's Bible and started there, and other people, you know, um, there's no rule as long as you get God's Word in you. That's important. Um, And I spoke two weeks ago about Mary being encountered by an angel and how the angel spoke to Mary and said, Mary, you are highly favoured. And I'd encourage you to look at that verse, Luke Luke 1.26. Just, if you don't know how to talk to people about Jesus, read Luke 1.26 to the end of 38, which is Mary's encounter with the angel. And you'll have a very good outline of the kinds of things that God might say to anyone. Because Mary ultimately was the first person who was going to have Jesus in her. And so when you become a Christian, when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying, yes, you may have a home in my heart. So w- when you start talking to people, start talking to them from the the heart of the Father, not from the, you know, this Bible says, unless you repent, you will go to hell. It's kind of not a friendly way to to meet God because most people believe that. They believe uh, that God is angry anyway. So, t- take, you know, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You can say that to everyone. You are highly favored. I don't believe in him. Well, you know what? He believes in you. Deal with it. He loves you. You are highly favored. I don't feel highly favored. Well, that's because he's trying to have a relationship. He won't talk to him. And people will be greatly troubled at the words that are spoken. And so do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Most people are afraid. You have found favor with God. You know you can say that to everyone. You can say that to everyone. The person who's done the most terrible thing, you can still say you've found favor with God. Why? Because a father can't deny his child. It doesn't mean everything you do is favored. But who you are in your essence is favored by God because he made you. And in the process of talking about God and Jesus, there will always come that point where, again, this doesn't make no sense to me. And you go, that's right. That's I often say that. The, the thing that causes me to believe in God is that he's unbelievable. I cannot link all the dots for you and explain it all, which makes it much better. But there's enough to work with. And so Mary eventually goes, how will this be? I'm a virgin. How will this be? I'm a sinner. How will this be? I'm an addict. Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and will give you strength, and will do things in you that you didn't know could happen. And you, you just say to somebody, you know, give God, give God two weeks, because the Holy Spirit's on you now, because I've just prayed for you. What? Yeah, you, 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 you know, it's see what happens. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That is what it, that is what happens to every single person who follows Jesus. Something is birthed in you that you don't have any control over in the sense of you couldn't make it happen. He just loves doing it. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 following. Meditate on it, look at it, uh, receive it for yourself and give it to others. In the whole area of this, the birth of Jesus, you have uh, in John, he just starts with the word became flesh and the light of the world. He doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus. He knows the other gospels that have been written at this stage. Luke uh, he talks about the shepherds and then he goes into Jesus in the temple. He does the birth of Jesus, but he doesn't do the, uh, what I'm actually going to say is, after Mark where John the, he starts with John the Baptist um, and the calling of the first disciples doesn't even talk about the birth of Jesus. Matthew starts with the whole lineage of the history of the Jews from, the, from King David to show that Jesus was born into David's line because he was writing to Jews. So as Rosie said, there's lots of detail because he was writing to the Jews whereas Luke was writing to the Gentiles. So they both have a slant that's slightly different. And uh, he he basically is the only one who speaks about the the, the Magi, the coming of the wise men. And this all takes place in Bethlehem. And if you go to Bethlehem, uh, you go and see the Church of the Nativity and it's this big, long, barn-like place actually when you go in. And you go in through this little door that's been built there was a bigger door, but apparently they used to ride the horses in there, and so they built a small door um, to stop the horses going in. And you go into, you, you come in on this side, and you go right to the end, and you go down some stairs, and you come into this uh, meant to be a cave. But everything in the Middle East, everything that relates to Jesus, is totally covered in silver and has all kinds of adornments. So it's actually. Looks a little bit like a shrine everywhere, so it's, it's a bit disappointing in one way. But there's a in the floor, there's a star, a pointed star, and it says, you know, here, here Jesus Christ was born. And it's believed that he actually probably was born in a cave. And this, the uh, when when the uh, when Jesus was laid in the manger, when the uh, the shepherds would have understood this, when they actually came to the ma- they saw Jesus in the manger, they might well have understood he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And when the shepherds were, were preparing uh, perfect lambs for sacrifice, they would put them in swaddling clothes to protect them. So the great shepherd, the one who gave his life, actually was cradled like a like a sacrificial lamb at his birth. Remember going to Bethlehem? I've told you this, but I just I like the story. It's about six miles from Jerusalem, and when I was in England, I I went to. Israel and I spent six, five weeks there, six weeks there, five weeks there and uh, somebody said you've got to go to the House of Hope and it's an orphanage for Palestinian children so one day I went down um, to, to, to Bethlehem got off the bus and, and I knew it was somewhere around here and this blind man was walking along the road with his uh, with his friend who was kind of, had his, he had his arm in his friend's arm and I walked across the road and I said, Excuse me, can you, do you know where the House of Hope is? And the blind man turned and said, It's just about 100 yards down the road here. And I said, Only in Bethlehem. The blind man leading the blind man. And I went into this orphanage and there were these three women. They were all over 70. Uh, I can't remember the one woman's tiny, tiny somebody she called herself. for well, one was, she was lying in, on a bed because she had broken her leg and was recovering. And one had gone to France for eye surgery probably thirty years ago, and she was blind and some one of the the other was I can't remember what but I spent about an hour talking to these women having tea and they ran this orphanage and i it was the most humbling thing because they were so incredibly joyful, and they were just so filled with life and in their sort of senior years, they were certainly not um, Overwhelmed by their struggles and their disabilities and they just wanted to p- provide a place where some Palestinian children could get a chance uh, in Bethlehem. Because Bethlehem and most of the places we read about were not that pleasant. There were lots of challenges for those who lived there. So li- we're looking at, at uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Matthew 2 in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. I won't reveal the person who said this week at the Bible study, how can I have hope if I don't have control? Well, the first, the first place to find hope is releasing control because you don't only really have it anywhere. You just have an illusion of it. And Mary and Joseph, when they gave birth to their child, had no idea what was going to happen. They had no control over their circumstances. They were in a hostile place, They were in a strange place. They didn't know that they were going to go through some horrendous things along the way. And I think everybody who knows Jesus and follows Jesus from time to time says, I didn't sign up for this. I thought it would be better than this. I thought it would be easier. And you just have two ways to live. You either live in a difficult world on your own or you live in a difficult world with God. And how you live is entirely dependent on who you trust. So you either trust yourself, or you trust somebody who's bigger than you. So, one of the ways of finding hope and freedom is to embrace the mess of the world and to realize that it is not a sign of God's love for you or His anger for you. It's not a sign. Your circumstances are not a sign of God's approval of you or His disapproval of you. We do live a little bit in a Western culture right now where if God's favor is upon you, then you must be doing okay but it's not borne out in the Scriptures. You could be doing okay for all kinds of reasons. You could also not be doing okay for all kinds of reasons. But if you look at the Scriptures, and you look at particularly the New Testament in the early centuries of the Christian church, you know a lot of people would be standing facing lions in the Colosseum, and this is God's favor. But I think if you ask them, and if you read some of the, 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 the testimonies of these people who went to the lions and faced Boiling oil and all kinds of incredible hardships just because they wouldn't say Jesus, uh, Caesar is Lord. If they said Caesar and Lord, you can go free. They said we will not deny Jesus. There's a test. But rather like Peter says, you know, silver and gold I don't have. They just said silver and gold, gold we don't have. But we are actually rich. So, yeah, bring the lions on. That is the favor of God releasing courage and boldness. So, wherever we are right now, God is present with something to help us. Every single one of us. The question is, do we hear it and see it? And so Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem. They've been there probably six months by the time the Magi come. And look at their circumstance. They are under the reign of King Herod. King Herod is not a pleasant fellow. He's been reigning for probably 30 to 40 years by this time he's coming to the end of his reign um, I'll read you something that I came across just to describe Mr. Herod or King Herod just think I, I, my mind goes in strange places I kind of think of the conversation between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit before all this happened and the Father says Jesus there's good news and bad news you're going to be saviour of the world that we've just created and has gone belly up Um, You're going to give up all your riches and you're going to become an embryo in a peasant girl of 14 in a hostile place. Trust me. How would that feel? You're going to become absolutely helpless. You're going to become somebody that can't even speak. You're just going to gurgle because you're going to be a baby. You're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be totally dependent on other people. And you're going to live among them in an almost hidden way for 30 years, which on earth is long in heaven. It's like a blink of an eye. So if you want to think of somebody who knows our every weakness and who knows us, Jesus knows what it's like to be vulnerable and hopeless, and, and helpless in a sense, or trusting. You see, some people think that Jesus was born and then he immediately had the capacity. He knew everything, like even a baby, I suppose. But he was born fully human, which means that his capacity to understand was the same as yours and mine. The fact that his DNA was God was his father does give him a little sort of head start on us. But he didn't know everything just because he was God. He was in the capacity of human being. That's what was so powerful, that God became human and restricted himself to our capacity. That's why you look at Jesus and you see somebody filled with God's spirit and Jesus is basically what the human being was meant to be, Adam and Eden before he fell. So everything about Jesus is potentially possible for us because of God's spirit working in him and enabling him to do things that were extraordinary. Same spirit can live in us and enable us to do things that are extraordinary. Our level of unbelief is so high and we'll see in a minute that that gets in the way. But Herod was a nasty piece of work and if I was God and I was having my child somewhere, I probably wouldn't choose this place. You can go down the road of Jericho, down into Jericho and you can see Herod's summer palace. There's a big swimming pool there and that's where he drowned his uncle. This is what t- He was a wealthy, politically gifted, intensely loyal, an excellent administrator and clever enough to remain in the good graces of successive Roman emperors. His famine relief was superb and his building projects including the temple begun 20 BC admired even by his foes. There's a whole teaching on the temple by the way. When Herod built the temple he started the temple in 20 BC and it was finished in 60 AD. It's the third temple that was built. It was built for entirely political reasons where the uh, religious leaders and the Romans and Herod all got together and agreed and they built this temple. And within... Five years of it being built, being finished it was destroyed. Jesus had said this temple will be destroyed. And when you go and you look at the temple, you look at the size of the the building blocks you know, it's the length of one of these sections um, three three chairs deep and probably ten feet high, each block and you go, how could you destroy this? It was all destroyed. It's a good example of unless God builds the house you labour in vain. Anyway, Herod did that curry favor with the Jews and with the Romans. He loved power, inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on the people and resented the fact that many Jews considered him a usurper. In his last years suffering an illness that compounded his paranoia, he turned to cruelty and in fits of rage and jealousy killed close associates. He killed his wife, maybe a couple of them. He killed children in fact, he, he was so paranoid and so wanting honour that he decreed that when he died, all his closest associates would be killed so somebody would be mourning when he died. He was ruthless and he was... Uh, so, so, when the Magi come to Herod, they're not coming to somebody who's scared of doing bad things. Because sometimes, again, well, if God is in this, it's all going to roll out smoothly. And the Magi were probably not just three men. They were probably a whole group. But they were philosophers. They were astronomers. They were people who were wise. They were people who studied. They were people who were searching for the coming of the Messiah. Um, they were people who, um, they were, if you look at the commentaries, there's a sense that at, at this time in history, uh, there was a sense throughout, throughout the Middle East that something was happening. And so these astronomers saw a star and they began to follow the star. And then coming back to our prophet Rosie, um, God knows me. So if you're an astronomer, maybe I'll speak to you through the stars. If you're a gardener, maybe I'll speak to you through a plant. If you're a mechanic, maybe I'll speak to you through an engine. I've, you know, uh, old Ted Marks here is a mechanic and a designer, and we had breakfast. And one of the landing places that I t- shared Jesus with him was about mechanics. You find what somebody's interested in, and then you just let God weave his story in. It's cool. So, guess what? You don't have to worry, God will speak to you in a way that you can understand. I remember Bill Johnson using the example, his son Eric. This is, they've got this massive healing ministry at Bethel and his son is deaf. His secretary died of cancer and Chris Gore, one of their healing leaders, has a daughter who is very, very severely, what's she got? Cerebral palsy and has never come out of it. Now, that's Courage. To declare the God of healing when your own family is not healed. That's declaring what God says in his scripture rather than my experience. That takes courage and faith. And that's why I'll go to a place like that. I respect that. It's not all perfect. So I fit in. And he talks about his son and he says, you know, I'm the father of Eric. And when I speak to Eric, I know he has... He, hearing problems, so I make sure we have eye contact and then he can read my lips and I speak more slowly. What is he saying? I as the father take responsibility for my son hearing. So be encouraged. God the father takes responsibility for you hearing if you will listen. I mean if Eric's going like this and his father's trying to talk to him and every time he looks at him he just looks, well then Eric can have a problem. But if he's the, if he's wanting to hear His Father will speak in a way that he can hear. And the same is true with God to you and to me. And so God spoke to these Magi and they followed the star and they came to Jerusalem. Why didn't they go straight to Bethlehem? Why didn't God lead them straight to Bethlehem? I don't know. Maybe they did and they got it wrong. But they came to Jerusalem and they went to Herod and they said, Have you heard of this uh, this birth of the king? And anybody would have said, for goodness sake, don't go to Herod. He is paranoid. He'll kill you. But God lets them go. And the the cool thing is, they don't go, oh my word, we're not going to Herod. Let's go home. We made a mistake. They actually press through. Sometimes, this might be a word for somebody, in your life, where you think you're following God, something's going to come up that's going to challenge you. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't react. Maybe ask a question, where can we find him? And Herod tells them, but he also actually first of all goes to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders quote Micah, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. He called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. you getting this? You have three responses to the birth of Jesus. He is called a king. He's not called a prince. He hasn't muttered a word and he's causing havoc. His presence is causing havoc. And you have King Herod who is paranoid and saying, there is no way there's going to be a king challenging me. And what he's going to do in a a while is he's going to have all the kids around the age that Jesus would be killed. And Mary and Joseph are going to flee to Egypt. And maybe Mary walked down the road one day and some woman looks at her and says, because of your son, mine's dead. What kind of God do you believe in? We lost our children because yours was born. I'm really happy for you that yours is alive. Mine is dead. And you go, well, it's part of God's plan. Really? Seriously? And of course, God, the loving Father, would say to every child that has died under the hand of Herod, if you could see that child, he's with me, he's in heaven, he's free. But you only see two dimensionally. And because you don't know me very well, I understand your anger. And you think I'm being unfair. By the way, I haven't caused it. I came into a world where men like Herod reign. And so they wreak their vengeance. But my son has come and he, by the way, will die a more brutal death than your child. For you and for your children. But we don't understand the ways of God. So in our very small environments, it often feels just totally contradictory to everything we say we believe hold unswervingly to God who is faithful sometimes it doesn't feel like he even cares and these so you have Herod who is paranoid and he wants to get he's just going to challenge and try and kill anything that's a threat to him and then you have the religious leaders and this is mind blowing the religious leaders what do they do? they answer Herod's question with biblical prophetic words and then they kind of go that's, we don't really, we're not going to go to Bethlehem and look we've just heard somebody say somebody's born in Bethlehem and we don't even bother to go which is a bit like this fishing club that I will show you now just so you can have a change of voice so that's a bit like lots of religious people and the religious leaders who came to uh, speak to Herod. I know a lot about stuff. Again, I quote the words, but I've never experienced it. They never bothered to make the trip. So you have Herod and the religious leaders and the Magi in the same place at the same time. Herod is threatened by the presence of a king who he doesn't know. The religious leaders are indifferent because the status quo is much more comfortable to them. And if there is a king, it might rock the boat. So not during my watch, please. And they are the magi who are going, we've seen a star, we think something's up, we're going to follow it through to the end. And they go down to Bethlehem and they see this little baby and they, they worship him and they give him gifts. And they go away another way because God has shown them in a dream that He is faithful and He doesn't just speak through stars. He can give you any. He can speak in any way. And they got dreams and said, "I had a strange dream. We should do something else." They all agreed and off they went. I wonder what God wants to say to you and to me and to us this year. And I wonder what our responses are. Because it's funny in the movie about. All the excuses. We're having a leadership te- leadership thing next Saturday. I'm just teasing you now. Don't get upset. But if the cap fits, wear it. I don't go to those things. I feel uncomfortable. I've got something else on. Children are a great, one because you can never argue with somebody about children. But when we laugh at the religious leaders, let's be real sensitive to how we operate indifference not now I'll go next time one of the reasons we don't grow is because it's never the right time one of the reasons we don't hear God is because so often what God is saying is not what I'm wanting to hear yes he says I love you but he's also saying other things and then we're waiting and we say we need to pray more and we need to fast more and God says if you actually talk to your friends you'll hear me I am right with you and I am speaking to you but you might not want to hear what I'm saying. You call me Lord, Lord but you're very selective. You're very quick to take offense. You're very quick to explain things away. You're very quick to dismiss what I'm saying if it's hard. But I love you enough to press in on you so there's whole lots of relevance in this passage from the Magi of a God who leads in extraordinary ways, of a God who protects, of a God who takes something and enables us to hear through that whichever way we can hear. In the midst of a chaotic circumstance, a terrifying ruler, and an unknown future, somebody said this, wise men or those who look for Jesus uh, Those who look for Jesus will find him. He will lead. If you want to know Jesus better, if you want to know his will, if you want to take the next step, he will show you. But you've got to be willing to move. You've got to be willing to ask the way. You've got to be less willing to try and work it out all on your own. The spirit of independence has to die. You've got to be willing to submit, you've got to be willing to be humble. You know, when you're really hungry, you don't care who feeds you. You're just grateful for the food. People don't dive into dumpsters because they have dignity. They dive into dumpsters because they're hungry. And you can ask God to make you hungry. You can just say, give me a hunger, Lord. I'm tired of playing it so safe. And, and one of the things we'll talk about the leadership thing is how those different colors can experience God and how God might speak to them. And how we need each other. Those who look for Jesus will find him because God will lead. Those who find him will worship. And those who worship will give. Which is what the wise men did. They gave myrrh, frankincense, gold. Probably resources that were used by God for Joseph and Mary's trip to Egypt. Who are you? Herod? Herod? threatened the religious leaders you talk a great talk quite a lot of scriptures maybe but when it comes to actually risking you play it safe and then you wonder why you're not alive or it's not the right time but in your heart of hearts there is always a reason for not I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I don't need to. Because guilt is a waste of time. It's more trying to just open things up and go God's inviting us into something. And he's inviting you and he's inviting me and together we need each other on the journey.